This is a Baby Brunch podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control, and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth, we let you be you. Why would you put your child at risk Mm. of contracting a horrible disease like measles, like mumps, like something else that will affect them long term where we we don't know what sort of complications they'd have? And furthermore, putting other children at risk, children that can't be vaccinated because of the immune system or because of whatever reason, children that might have cancer, children that have got any sort of disease or anything that's compromising the immune system, why would you want to create that sort of situation? And and furthermore, my attitude is, and maybe this is hard, maybe this is, um, maybe I'm being too blunt, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have an autistic child than a dead child. That's the bottom line. Do you think if whoever gave Dylan measles was vaccinated, that he'd still be alive? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Baby Brunch podcast and conversation. Childhood vaccines or immunizations can seem overwhelming when you are a new parent. Now in a pandemic, how does this change what some of us as parents have been doing and what we should do as a new parent regarding vaccines and our little ones? Soon Lee Baker, she's a specialist and has an interest in immunization as well as travel health. And she also owns Amayeza, a medicine and vaccine information service, will be joining us to chat through the facts around vaccinations. But first, I want to chat to a mom. Last year, I met Ruth, and it was during a time where she was very sad. Today, we share her story of her son, Dylan, who was diagnosed with a very rare liver disease at the age of five. His immune system was compromised, and he was diagnosed with measles, and Dylan died. This is Ruth's story. Um, Dylan, my son Dylan, uh, when he was five years old, he was diagnosed with this liver disease called PSC. It's a very rare liver disease, primary sclerosing cholangitis. Um, very rare, and especially in children. We say rare liver disease. How did they get to the diagnosis? Because he was only five. When I say it's rare, it normally actually affects males between the ages of 28 to uh, and older, 28 to about 50. That's the average. Um, very rare in children. And in fact, in South Africa, he was the only pediatric PSC patient at the time. So it was a very scary, daunting thing to hear your child's got this liver disease and you not to, you've got no one else in the country for support. Once we had the diagnosis, there is actually no treatment for PSC. Um, the only thing is supportive medication for the symptoms. 
Um, but over the years from when he was diagnosed, you know, he was on various medications and was doing very well. Um, he had had all his vaccinations as a baby, um, everything. And after he was actually diagnosed with PSC, um, we actually did all his boosters as well. Because when you have an immune, uh, immunocompromised disease or you have a transplant or something like that, you can't have live vaccinations because it'll compromise the organ or your body as such. So we made sure that he was fully vaccinated. So if ever we hit that point, we knew at least he did, we'd had boosters in that. So this is pretty much was Dylan's journey that um, he, in, in 2016, when he was 14 years old, his liver started to go into liver failure. Mm -hmm. And within weeks, you could just see how he started to decline. Um, he, obviously, the doctors were on top of it. We've got an incredible, incredible team of dedicated specialists at the liver transplant unit. They are just above and beyond. Mm -hmm. And they straight away, we, we went through all the rigmarole to do all the testing to get him listed for transplant. Um, and then once Dylan was listed, then it was a case of waiting for a liver, um, which, of course, is bittersweet in its mm. own right. Um, and he thankfully was very, very lucky, and we're very grateful to the donor that he actually got a transplant on the 28th of September, 2016. Remarkable. Yeah, and this remarkable kid who just, he was so strong and so full of life. Within nine days of transplant, he was home. Gosh. He had... He just took to the graft. He was healthy. He was doing well. He was incredible. The doctor said to me that this is a transplant that when it goes right, boy, does it go right. And yes, we were very nervous at first. Um, in, and he, even after a few years after transplant, if we go anywhere where we felt he'd be immunocompromised, he'd wear a mask. We had the sanitizer. So this whole COVID living mm. it was almost the norm for us. Um, and um, but he was able to participate in school and and everything. Obviously from his medications he had to be careful of not being exposed too much into too much sun. Um, and not that he played sports, he actually was not a sports person, but um, if he did he would have had to avoid contact sports. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it just carrying on and living his best life. And um, then, unfortunately, which does come with PSC, often it comes with um, a colon complication, either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. And unfortunately, they think that possibly the transplant and the medications actually triggered the ulcerative colitis. Right. So he then, yeah, it was about nine, 12 months after transplant, he was diagnosed with ulcerative mm. colitis. And in January 2020, he landed up having an emergency colonectomy where they basically removed his whole colon. For the first time in however long, he didn't have pain. He didn't have to worry about going to the bathroom. He didn't have to worry about... Mm -hmm 
any of those complications. And he started to actually really feel human. How old was he at the time? So he had his um, colon removed on the 26th of January, and he turned 18 on the 15th of February. So he had just turned 18. Um, And then, as I say, his first outing with, he went with a couple Mm -hmm. of his friends. And, you know, obviously we checked with the doctor. Can you go out? Yes, they said, as long as he wears a mask. Mm. And they were happy with all his um, his blood work. And he was really, he, in fact, he was at his healthiest. And his, his immune system was still compromised, obviously, but stronger than it had been in ages. So he went to the Rocky Horror Show. And he, he had a wonderful evening. He, they dressed up and he, uh, he put on all this makeup and he was so excited about his cape and... His friends have told me stories of the mischief that he got up to. He was a very mischievous, funny, um, sense of humor kid and very sharp-witted. And he had an absolute wonderful time. And it was so good for me as a mom to see my kid. Happy. happy. (laughs) And then two weeks after that, it was Saturday morning. He woke me up at about three in the morning. Mom, I'm not feeling well. I've just taken my temperature and it's 40 degrees. And um, within two two days of him being in hospital, they then actually gave me a call. I wasn't actually there when the results came back to say that um, he had measles. Measles. And you think to yourself, measles in this day and age He'd been fully vaccinated against it. He'd had his boosters against it. But obviously, with his compromised immune system, he was still susceptible to it. And of everything and anything that is out there, I mean, you don't even think of measles. Measles is a disease that shouldn't even exist anymore. And that was on the Tuesday that they said, okay, it's measles. And then the Thursday morning, um, as I arrived at the hospital, he phoned me and said, Ma, they're moving me to ICU. And um, pretty much from that Thursday morning, he just went downhill. And the measles basically attacked his whole body and his body couldn't fight it. And he passed away on the Sunday. Um, I got to be with him. My family was also able to come and be with him. Um, I lay with him through the night on the Saturday night. They let me lie with him in his bed because they'd said to me, look, you know, we've tried everything and unfortunately his organs are shutting down. And, you know, it, I just, I said to myself, it was an unnecessary death. He didn't need to die from measles. Mm. Where did he contract measles? Was it on the outing? We don't know. As I asked the doctors, where would he have got measles from? And they said to me, you will drive yourself mad if you try to figure out because it could have been someone who walked past him and breathed on him. It could have been on a door handle. It could have been 
anywhere on a bottle of cool drink, anywhere or anything, you know, and there comes a point where, yes, you can um, take the precautions, but how far do you take them? Just like with COVID, as we can all see, we all need to continue with our lives, but it's finding a new normal. And that's exactly how it was with Dylan. It was him being able to still live his life, but within his new normal. And it really was the last thing on my mind, measles. It never even occurred to me. Do you think if whoever gave Dylan measles was vaccinated that he'd still be alive? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. He was doing so well. He was healthy. He was strong. He was happy. You know, and unfortunately, he didn't die because of his liver or because of his colon. He died because he got measles and his body being immunocompromised couldn't cope. Did you want other children? <sighs> I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. <laughs> um, desperately, my first child actually, he was still born at 40 weeks. Um, and then Dylan was my miracle child. He defied the odds. And um, I had him at 37. He was, I was 37 weeks and we did an emergency Caesar and he was my miracle child. And I had two miscarriages after Dylan and then reached a point where I came to peace with the fact that I had one beautiful child and I was grateful and blessed. And I'm still blessed and grateful that I had this incredible kid, but I didn't have him for long enough. Dylan's life and story brought me and you together. Yeah. And it will inspire a whole lot of parents and moms-to-be and parents-to-be. This podcast and conversation is dedicated to Dylan. May he rest in peace. Childhood vaccines or immunizations can seem overwhelming when you are a new parent. But now in a pandemic, how does this change what some of us as parents have done in the past? And also, what should we do as new parents that really want to vaccinate our little ones? Lee Baker is joining us today. She's our guest on babybrunch.co.za. She's a medicines informations pharmacist with a special interest in immunization as well as travel health. And she owns Amayeza. It's a medical information service. And also one of the services they offer is a vaccine helpline. So, I mean, when it, when it comes to vaccines, we've done a podcast on vaccines before on, on Baby Brunch. And we got a lot of positive feedback from people. Others said, you know, uh, you're trying to be controversial. And I said, no, uh, this is what I do with my children. There's a few of us in our mommy group that believe in vaccinating. There's others that believe in not to vaccinate. What is the role of vaccinations, the one that we're giving our toddlers and children at the moment? What role does that play when we think of COVID-19? Children, when we're talking about the importance of children being vaccinated during this time of COVID, we are actually talking specifically about the childhood diseases like right. the measles, etc. Because A, we want to protect the children from those infections. Um, and if, we, if our um, vaccine immunization gets too low, we won't have that protection. But B, we are trying to protect our health system and relieve, relieve the burden on our health system. If we had a measles outbreak now, like we had in 2009 or 2010, 
And on top of that, we have COVID that our health system is trying to um, cope with. It would be a total disaster. Mm. Um, so for those two reasons, A, to protect the child and make sure that they're fully protected, and B, to ensure that we don't put an additional burden on our healthcare system. With respect to COVID and the rollout, children are not going to feature in the rollout in the foreseeable future. And that's primarily because they aren't the ones at highest risk. Mm. And, and secondly, the vaccines that are coming out at the moment have not been trialed in children. So the focus very much is on adults now and, um, and high-risk people, not specifically on children. So yes. what, what is in the actual vaccine? I mean, is it some of the germ or the virus what that's a toned down version of it? What, what are they giving them? Okay, so let's take hepatitis A as an example. So hepatitis A is what we call an inactivated viral vaccine. Mm. So what they did is they took the hepatitis A virus and they killed it. And then they put that into the vaccine. Mm. So it can't cause hepatitis A, can't cause symptoms of hep A. Right. Um, but, but our immune system will recognize it and make antibodies to it so that when the real virus enters into our body, um, our immune system is ready to fight it off. If you look at measles, mumps, and rubella, for example, that's what we call a live attenuated vaccine. So that is where they've taken those three viruses and they've weakened them. Um, they've weakened them in various different ways until they're so weak that they can't actually cause the disease anymore, mm. but they will replicate in our body. And so that, those kind of vaccines give us the best response because they're the closest thing to the real, to the real virus. How many vaccine shots should children get? I mean, how many do we administer in their short lifetime? It's a variable number. But if we look at the EPI, which is the, what the vaccines that the government supplies free of charge, um, they're basically vaccines against 10 diseases. And then in addition to that, as part of our school health program, we have the HPV vaccine, which is given at nine years of age. Um, in the in private sector, there are some additional vaccines. Um, so there are about 15, including the HPV, uh, plus the HPV one. Um, but also what's not included as part of a program, but which is really important, especially in today's environment, is the flu vaccine. So um, it's because it doesn't fit into a schedule per se, a lot of people just miss having it. And they actually recommend it from six months of age. And um, in an environment like now where we have the pandemic, it really is important to make sure that people have their flu vaccine, not because it's going to protect them against COVID. And there are some people who misunderstand that, but it's going to help protect them against flu so that they're not in addition to flu going to get COVID mm. or maybe misdiagnose um, it. Um, so more than ever before, the flu vaccine has now become important. So I just wanted to point that out. It's not actually part of the program, but it really is an important thing. Now, when you got, you asked me about how many jabs or how many shots you have yes. to have, that is, it's many more than the 12 or 15 that I've mentioned, because some of them you need a series. Mm. So for example, um, your vaccines against diphtheria and tetanus and pertussis, um, um, those you can't just have one dose. You need three doses before you get protection, and then you need booster doses to ensure the protection. 
So that's why your baby would get it at like 6, 10, and 14 weeks, they'd mm. get a dose. Then at 18 months, they'd get a booster. And then at school going age, they'd get another one. Um, your measles, mumps, and rubella, which is only available in private sector, over the age of 12 months, we need two doses to give them good protection. Some of the moms who don't vaccinate or parents that don't vaccinate, how come their children don't get these diseases? Most of them are healthy. One thing I need to say at the moment is that all vaccines in South Africa are voluntary. Okay. Mm. Nobody is forced to. Even though the schools, when your children start at school, they'll say, where's their proof of vaccination? They cannot refuse your child entry to the school if they haven't been vaccinated. Okay, they are... The idea is to get the parents to understand the benefit and the importance mm -hmm. of vaccine and let them voluntarily um, do it. Vaccines are almost their own worst enemy because they've been so successful that we don't see a lot of disease anymore. Right. So, for example, in the 1960s and early 1970s, there were thousands of children dying of diphtheria um, and whooping cough or pertussis. And now we vaccinate and something like 83% of the population worldwide get these vaccines now. So now you don't see a lot of diphtheria. Um, and in children, you don't see a lot of pertussis. You do in tiny babies, but not in, in children who've been vaccinated. And now people sort of think, well, why should we vaccinate? You know, mm. you don't get these diseases anymore. But the reason why we don't get the diseases is because we vaccinate. So, for example, measles. Measles is a very infectious disease. Mm. So to get herd immunity, which I think you may have heard about, yes. the, the, the new way of talking about it is population immunity. Sounds better than herd, which gives you a, a connotation of animals. <laughs> but <clears throat> for population immunity means that you vaccinate enough of the population that the virus or the bacteria can't circulate in that population. Right. And, th and therefore, the few that haven't been vaccinated are protected. But for measles, 95% of the population has to be vaccinated in order to protect uh, um, those few who haven't been vaccinated. And that what we have seen in previous recent years in South Africa, where we've had outbreaks of measles, it's because they don't vaccinate in those areas. The United Kingdom that had re um, received measles-free status, lost their measles-free status in, in 2018 um, because they, people are scared to vaccinate now and that level of vaccination has dropped so low that now it can spread um, and that's why people are getting it. And the danger there is for those children who can't be vaccinated. So, for example, um, mm. a child who has leukaemia, all right? You can't give the child a live vaccine if they've got leukaemia. Um, so you're relying on everybody around them being protected mm. um, by having the vaccine. So in a way, a mother that chooses not to vaccinate her child, that's her right. And then she has to take the consequences of what happens to her child. But in the process, she might be putting other children who cannot be vaccinated at risk. How do we keep track of, of when to, to vaccinate? Most clinics actually have a printed schedule now where they make recommendations. And I agree some clinics um, are not the same as others. The EPI, which is the government schedule, is a set schedule. Okay. Mm. Um, and um, private, because we have additional vaccines that, that we offer, um, we can put in. So because we're independent, we drew up 
a vaccine schedule. Okay. Um, and we've put that on our website. So um, you can refer your um, listeners to the website to read um, that and to do it. But one of the most common questions that we deal with on our vaccine helpline is what we call catch-ups. So it's when a, a child is three years old and hasn't had all their vaccines, or most commonly at this time of the year, when they're six years of age going to school and they suddenly realize that they've missed out on, on, on lots of them. Right. And the answers are not that simple because each child is, is kind of different. Some of them may have had two doses. Some of them may have had three. Some may have never had any doses. So, and some of the products are only registered up to certain ages. So each um, situation is slightly different. And what we do is we work with the child, what they've had, what age they are, and what products are available for that age. So does that mean if they've missed the vaccine that they might get the virus? Yes, it does. Or, or the bacteria, whatever the case might be, because mm -hmm. we have vaccines against viruses and, and bacteria. bacteria. Yeah. So also, for example, I've used tetanus and diphtheria as an example earlier on. If they've only had two doses... Mm -hmm. then they could still pick up the infection because they haven't been fully protected. Mm -hmm. But the good news is you never have to start again. If they come two years later, you don't say, oh, we've got to start all over again. You've got to have more vaccines now. You don't. You carry on from where you were, but they're only protected once they've had the full schedule. Well, speaking about that schedule, if you want to find out more about the clinic, it's Amayeza Info Center. So you can either Google them or you can find them on their Facebook page, which is Amayeza Info Center. They have information around uh, medical information, immunizations. You just heard it. We're definitely going to share their immunization schedule on our platforms so that we can all stay informed and may everyone that is having a baby in 2021 and beyond have a healthy and beautiful baby. From all of us at babybrunch.ca.za, thank you for listening. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. Fed Health. We let you be you.